You know, um, what was cool just a moment ago, by the way, is you, you didn't get to see what was going on out in the lobby. Um, and right after the baptism, you all erupted and the lobby erupted as well. It was filled with children and family members. Man, that was so cool uh, to watch that happen. So just what a great encouragement. Um, this, anytime we take a trip, right, we take this with us, correct? Sometimes if we're just going overnight, maybe we'll take a bag like this and, and, uh, and we'll have our stuff in or maybe we'll take anything, a couple of days, maybe a bag like that. If we're going to go for a week or two, probably take something like, you know, like this. But if you're planning on on staying longer, right? If you're going to take a journey that is supposed to last the rest of your life, you pack all your stuff and take it with you, right? You bring it all. So does it surprise anybody that when we get married, we bring these with us? And we might be polite and say we're bringing our luggage with us, but if we were being a little bit more honest, we would say we're bringing our what? Yeah, we're bringing our baggage with us uh, into this thing. And, and I want to make sure that we all start off on the same foot as we get moving through uh, what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks, lest you think the other person in your relationship is the only one who has brought this with them. Check this out. On your notes, I have baggage. Write that down if you would, because I don't want you to have the mistaken idea that I'm talking about someone else. I'm talking about you, all right? This morning, I'm talking about you, because you and I both have baggage. And so for the next three weeks, uh, we're going to open it up and see what's in there because we are talking about what we bring into marriage or we bring into a family so that we can recognize it and care for it. Because men, we have baggage we bring. Ladies, you have a unique set of baggage that you bring as well. But here's the thing. Not only do we have his and hers, we have ours because there's something that we bring in together that is the same that we need to recognize as well. And the reason it's important to talk about this is because of what Proverbs 24 says, right? By wisdom, a house is built and through understanding that house is going to be established. Uh, understanding and acting accordingly can help build strong families, strong marriages, but a lack of understanding and acting accordingly is what causes problems in marriages and in families. So today we're going to talk about the baggage that we both carry in with us. What we're going to talk about for the next two weeks specifically. So next week I'm going to be talking about the baggage, the baggage that men bring in specifically. Uh, and then the next week I'll be talking about the baggage women bring in specifically. If you understand this and you use this wisely... If, you, if you're going to live in an understanding way with the information that we're talking about, right, this can help you build a solid foundation for your home. You cannot overestimate the importance of living in an understanding way with what we're talking about. But here's why this is dangerous information, because what we're going to talk about, especially next week with men, especially the week after that with women, right, it can be, it has been. And maybe even in this room this morning, it is today. This information is being used as a weapon against the other person. And it will damage your home. It will damage your family. If you have children, it will affect, not that it might, not that it could, it will 
affect them. So let me say this one more time. Even a lack of understanding, acting out of ignorance, causes damage uh, in many homes today. So in our verses, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your Bible or if you have your device with you, uh, go to Genesis chapter 2. We are going to look at how God made us, this baggage, right? We're not going to talk about his or hers today. Today we're talking about ours that we bring. We're hardwired with this, what we bring in. Uh, So we'll look at Adam and Eve. Someone told me that Adam and Eve had the perfect marriage. Adam didn't have to listen to Eve go on and on about the guy she could have married. And uh, and Eve Eve didn't have to listen to Adam brag about his mother's cooking. I don't know that that's true. Sandy and I, of course, have never had those kind of conversations. But, uh, oh boy, yeah. I don't know that they had the perfect marriage. But what we will be able to see is what God has given us for our marriages today. So Genesis chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God uh, formed out of the ground uh, all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what that creature was called. So the man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds, to all the wild animals. And yet surprisingly, there wasn't a mate found suitable for Adam. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman for she was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and neither one of them felt any shame about that. So the world is days old. God has planted a garden in the east portion of his new property and he's calling it Eden. And the place was beautiful. Verses 15 to 17, God hires a gardener. Actually, there's no one around to hire. So he makes his own, uh, uh, makes his own gardener. And his job, according to verse 15, was to work the garden and take care of it. So we're going to stop just right there for a moment uh, because I want to make sure we understand something that we maybe misunderstand. And it has to do with work. I want you to notice in this account, before sin ever entered into the world, there was work. Work was, some of us believe work is the result of Adam's sin. And somehow because he sinned, now we have to work. But that's not what happens. As a matter of fact, don't be surprised that when you get to heaven, God doesn't have you doing some gardening. I'm kind of thinking he may have me working in his front yard, taking care of the grass, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, something like that. But God took the man he formed from the dust to the ground and into whom he had breathed the breath of life and he put him in this garden that God had created himself. I don't know if you can imagine anything. I mean, could it get any better than that? And God looks at this situation, this garden that he's made, this man he's put there, and he thinks to himself, I can do better. There's something that can be better. Look at verse 18. It's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. This place is good, but I can make it even better. And in that one verse, we're going to see the two pieces of baggage that we all bring into this marriage relationship. Whenever we head into that, the the marriage relationship, and it's found, the first one is found in the first four words. The Lord God said, 
Okay, that's the first piece of baggage. Here it is, you ready? We bring, when you come into marriage, you bring your attitude with you. You have an attitude about marriage before you ever get married. This mental picture that when you hear the word marriage, whenever anyone says the word marriage, you have this mental image. It's either a good one or a bad one, or it's an indifferent one, but you have one. The question we need to ask ourselves in this room this morning is, does my attitude line up with God's? God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve for Adam. God did that. Marriage is God's idea. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. It's not someone else's idea. This is not an idea that people worked out, found useful to society for a while. This is God's. He, he designed this in his mind and gave it to us. Do you know what that means? It means that marriage is divine. It is a holy relationship. The question is, do we treat it like it is? Do you talk about it like it is? See, here's the attitude we have to have. Our our attitude has to be that this is a gift. This marriage relationship was designed by God as a gift to be given to us. Someone said marriage is a wonderful institution if you want to spend the rest of your life in an institution, right? And we, we can go to extremes here when we talk about it. But the point is this, do you think of the marriage relationship as a holy, divine relationship. In my nightstand uh, at our house, uh, this, that's where this usually stays. This is just, it's a pocket watch. Uh, it's quite old. I've never used it. Not even one time have I ever used this pocket watch or pocket knife. I don't know that I ever will. Matter of fact, a few years ago, Sandy was going through our stuff, uh, items that were old that we didn't use, and she was getting rid of them. And she brought me the pocket knife and she said, do you want to keep it? And all I said was, it was dad's. And it went back in the nightstand. You know, when dad gave me this knife, uh, it wasn't something he'd saved up to buy with me, especially in mind. I mean, this wasn't like a gift for me. It was just an old knife that he had used for years. He wasn't going to use it anymore. And he said, hey, do you want it? And I said, yeah. And to me, it's a treasure because it belongs to my dad. Do you have stuff like this at your house? Maybe it's a picture or some other item that is special to you. Actually, it's kind of priceless to you because it has no financial value, but it has this value attached to it because of who it belonged to before you received it. You know how you protect that item? You know how you treat that item as special? Is that how you treat marriage? (laughs) That's the question, really, because God wasn't even cleaning out his attic, getting rid of junk when he, when he gave us. This is a gift he created especially for us. So this morning, if you are fortunate enough to be sitting next to your spouse, and I know that not everybody is, but if you are, this might be a good time for maybe to reach over and grab their hand and to just hold on to that for a moment. And here's the question. As you hold that hand, Do you recognize that that relationship is holy before God? Hebrews 13, the author reminds us, marriage shall be honored by all. There's this song that Rich Mullins sang. It's been years ago. It said, you can thank the Father for the thing, or excuse me, Rich wrote this. You can thank the Father for the things that he has done and thank him for the things he's yet to do. And if you find someone who's tender, if you find someone who's true, then thank the Lord. He's been doubly good to you. And if you... If you have found this, you know in our world how true that is. 
And I just want to stop for a moment, and I want to say this. I know that some of us have never experienced this. We've not experienced this yet. You've never been married, so you've never experienced that yet. I know there are others who are here this morning that because uh, that you, you used to have that, but you don't anymore because you lost your spouse. They've, they've passed away, and so you're here by yourself because you, you lost your spouse to death. Or maybe, maybe you, you, that's what you wanted, but your spouse or you, one of you made some hurtful, hateful decisions, and your family exploded because of that. Or, or maybe you're here this morning, and you are in a relationship, but it's nowhere near that. As a matter of fact, it just kind of makes you sick to think about this whole thing and the fact that we're even talking about it. I know, I know that this type of message is difficult to hear, and I'm sorry that that it's rough to hear this, but I think it's important to remind all of us what God wants for us is good when we do it according to His plan, and that needs to be how we think about marriage. Proverbs 18 tells us that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. Ladies, you need to know the opposite of this is true as well. She who finds a godly husband finds a good thing, and he is favor. If, if he loves God and he loves you the way God intended for him, you, you have just found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Listen, marriage is a gift from God and it has to be treated as holy. That's the first piece of back. When we come into a marriage relationship, we bring with us our attitude toward it. Even before it gets started, we bring that with us. But here's the second one. You ready? The second one is our purpose. When you open up the second bag, why do you... Listen, why do you think people get married? Just like you have an attitude toward marriage, you have already this preconceived notion, this reason for why you want to be married, or, or depending on what the reason is, why you will never be married. In your whole, I will never be married because of this thing. Here's, if you're married, why did you marry that person? Please don't be muttering that under your breath. Why did I ever marry that person? Right? Don't do that. One problem with marriages today is that there's so many and so varied, varied num- purposes for getting married. And the result is that the husband and the wife, right, they sign on for a lifetime journey. They hop on their ships and they head in two different directions because they have, they have different purposes for marriage in mind. It's not something that we get to make up. There is something that is hardwired into all of us. It's supposed to bring us together. We're hardwired from marriage to accomplish something very specific. And we can make it anything we want. But there's something inside of it. Listen, anything beyond this, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But this is the one thing that was created, hardwired from creation. We bring this baggage with us. And our verses from creation tell us the purpose for marriage. Look at verse 18 again. God said, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. So I'm going to make a helper suitable. I will make someone especially tailored for him. God's design for marriage, his purpose for marriage, is companionship. And at first glance, you would have to think that Adam was living in heaven on earth. I mean, he had it made. Before Eve ever was around, he lived in a garden that was handmade by God. He had this incredible job, great job security. I mean, who's going to take it from him, right? I mean, he could talk audibly with his creator. In verses 19 and 20, all the animals come around, and he gets to name all of them. And God said after he saw that, man, this is just not good. 
he needs someone. And so God created woman for man. Verse 24 says that they are to become one flesh, which, by the way, is not just an allusion to the sexual relationship. It is an allusion to that, but not only to that. Matter of fact, Dr. James Dobson would say this, marriage is achieving complete intimacy, the heart-to-heart, the soul-to-soul communication where needs are met. Have you ever wondered why people who are married for 10, 15, 20 30 years, why all of a sudden they get divorced after that. You ever wondered why after all of those years together, why do they get divorced? And for some, it's because they built a house, but not a home. For some, it's because they raised children, but they didn't raise a family. They worked on their lives together. They just never worked on their life together. And after investing everything in raising their children or their careers or their hobbies or whatever it is that filled their time during that time, they realize that they didn't invest in their friendship. And it's almost, they get to the end of it, and you've heard people say this before, I don't even know you anymore. And they, they really don't. For the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years, they've been pouring into some, somebody else, paying no attention to their spouse, who, by the way, is changing over all those years, just as we change. And we get to the end, and they go, I really don't even know you. And they, it, that's an honest statement. Listen, Mary Alda said this, it's very easy to leave your spouse, very difficult to leave your best friend. And God's intention was never for you to merely have a spouse or merely a sexual partner or someone to merely help you raise the children. God's purpose was for you to have a companion, a best friend, for the rest of your life. That's his design. That's his, that's his picture. That's his purpose for marriage. And here's what I want you to understand. It actually works. God's idea actually works maybe more often than we realize. According to Shante Feldon, uh, right now, according to the most recent Census Bureau survey. So these, this information is taken from the Census Bureau. So someone's making it up. But 72% of people, this is on your notes. Please write this down. I want you to take it home. Who have ever been married are still married to their first spouse. 72%. What that means is that more than seven out of 10 people are still married to their first spouse. Does that sound even remotely close to what you hear or what you read or what other people say to you? Here's the interesting thing of the 28% that, that are left, the 28% who are not married to the first, that includes widows and widowers. That means that when their spouse died, they were still married to their first spouse. So that number goes up even a little bit more. Imagine the difference in our collective consciousness if we said most marriages last a lifetime rather than half of all marriages end in divorce. How does that change your image, your thought pattern about what marriage is and what the possibilities are that lay ahead for you? Most married people today, according to studies, enjoy being married to their spouse and given the chance, they would do it all over again. According to a Marist poll, it said that, found that 95% of married individuals said they married the right partner. 93% said if they had to do it all over again, they'd marry the same person all over again. 97% expect that for the rest of their life, they will be married to the person that they are married to. And listen, if you think these, if you're part of that number, if you think that, can I encourage you? Would you please tell your spouse that if I had to all, do all over again, I, <laughs> I'd marry you all over again all the struggles we've had, the things that we've had to work through. You've been so good. You're just perfect for me. Your spouse needs to hear that. God's design is that a man and a woman would be helpers, completers, 
Literally, in the Hebrew, the sentence reads this way, I will make him for him a helper as in front of him. It's a little bit difficult, right, to understand or according to what is in front of him. Not in some way inferior. This has nothing to do with someone being more or better or anything. That same word helper that is used to describe Eve when she is created for Adam is used to describe God in his relationship with the nation of Israel. It has nothing to do with weakness. God is the helper of Israel. It has nothing to do with weakness, rather a completer, a giver of strength. And in this case, someone who is actually bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, made of the exact same thing I am, so we're the same, we're just really different. In his book, His, Ner- his Needs, Her Needs, have you heard of that book, Dr. Willard Harley? Uh, Jr. lists the top five needs of women and men. So his studies, this is what he found, the top five needs of women, affection, conversation, honesty, and openness, financial support, family commitment. Ladies, you may or may not agree with that list, but that's what he he found out. Look at the top five needs of men, recreational companionship, attractive spouse, domestic support, admiration. I wonder what number one is. What's the word that no one wants to say in church? What would go up here? (laughs) Yeah, say it loud. There we go. Sexual fulfillment, right? I know. Are the ladies in the room going, oh, no one's doing that, right? Here's what I want you to do. Compare the two lists. Look at them side by side. Do you notice the similarities between the two lists? Look at them closely. Do you notice any similarities whatsoever? But not one. There's no overlap. Here's what happens. Our Our problems in marriage occur at times because men, knowing what it is that we're looking for, we intuit, I mean, it's built inside of us. We know we try to meet those needs of our wives. And you know what? Our wives, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for this. And ladies, you do the same thing. You know this is what you want. So you try to take care of the needs of your husband doing, I mean, trying to meet these needs. And that's not what he's looking for either. Listen, we were made differently not to compete with each other, but to complete each other. And our call, according to God's design, is to spend the rest of our lives trying to figure the other person out and how to meet their needs as best as we can. So as we begin, and we're just beginning this week to unpack our baggage. So as we begin to do that, what are the ways that we begin to meet each other's needs. Are you ready? Here's the very first thing that we need to do. It's on your notes. Give my marriage to God. And I know some of you are thinking, well, of course, the preacher's going to say that. We're in a church. It's a Sunday morning. The preacher's talking. He's got to say, give it to God. Proverbs 16 reminds us of this. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. So pray for your spouse. And please don't raise your hands right now, but how many of you do that? How many of you ever pray for your spouse? I want to encourage you every day to pray for them. Do you understand how much Satan wants to destroy your marriage? Do you understand how hard he's trying to undermine what God is building in your house? And he doesn't want to kill you. He wants to kill your marriage and leave you alive inside the same house. Think about the damage he can do with that. If you're not married, can I encourage you, pray for your future spouse. And if you have children that are young, 
Can I encourage you? It's not too early. It's never too early to pray for your child's future spouse. Listen, Sandy and I did that from the time our children were infants. We prayed for the people that God had already put into the world that we didn't even know yet that our children would grow up in marriage. Give your marriage to God. Here's the second one. Give time to your marriage. I want to make sure you understand that correctly. It doesn't say give time to your children. It doesn't say give time to your family outings. But give time to your marriage. Take time. You don't get to make time. All the time that's going to be made has been made. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's all you get. Take some of that time every day just for your spouse. Here's the third one. Seek godly counsel and support. If you are not married yet, do this before you get married. It is the hardest relationship you will ever have in your life. It will also be the best relationship you will ever have in your life. But it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of understanding. And so you need to make sure you get the best counsel that you can. Someone once said it's a whole lot easier to get married than it is to stay married. And every married person in this room knows exactly how true that is. Outside of your relationship with Jesus himself, this is the most important friendship you will ever have in your life. Make an educated decision. Go about it in a wise way. If you're already married, surround your marriage with good influences. Christian couples who are committed to God and his values and his goals and what he wants. By the way, that's why we talk about small groups. Surround yourself with other married couples who love God and want what he wants. Not because they're perfect, not because they're sinless, not because they've got it all together and always get it right. None of our couples, that doesn't describe any of our couples here, but we're all trying. We're all working that direction. It's what we want in our homes, just like it's what you want in your home. Surround yourself with people who are trying to do that, all right? Listen, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you one more, all right? Why don't we go to God? Father, thank you for today and for who you call us to be, and that you're not calling us to help someone else become this. You are talking to us. This is who you want me to become. This is the type of husband you want me to be for our ladies here. This is the type of ladies, the types of wives that you want them to be. And so, God, we pray that we will listen to your voice because this picture, this relationship that you designed, it works if we do it your way. And so, God, help us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So earlier I mentioned that there are couples who are investing themselves in their children, but they've invested very little in each other. And, uh, and I'm going to assume that you know people like that. So here, man, maybe you are people like that. And so the question, here's the deal. How do you avoid that? Or if you are people like that, how do you rekindle the, the fire that you once had? I just want to say this, if you want to fire, you light a what? You light a match, right? Okay, so here you go. You ready? This is the match you light. Flirt like crazy <laughs> with your spouse. The first hour, I said with my spouse, and then I realized <laughs> that I didn't want you to do that. <laughs> I'll flirt with my spouse. You flirt with your spouse, all right? 
Good gracious. In an essay about, listen, decades ago, and I've just kept this story with me. It just gets me every time. These elementary age children were asked to write an essay on what they like best about their home. An 11-year-old boy wrote this. My mom keeps a cookie jar in the kitchen, and we get to help ourselves anytime we want to, unless it's too close to dinner, and then we can't. Only my dad gets to have a cookie whenever he wants to. When he, when he comes home from the office, he helps himself even if it's right before we eat. He always pats my mom on the behind and brags about how great she is and how good a cook she is. And then she turns around and they hug like they just got married. He said the way they do it, you'd think they were on their honeymoon or something. It makes me feel good. An 11-year-old boy wrote... This is what I like best about our home. Can I encourage you, even if you haven't done this for decades, would you just wink at each other across the room? Can Write notes to each other. Pat their fanny. <laughs> Not now, please. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome, though, if on their way out, every married person got a little pat on their fanny? <laughs> By the way, I'm not going to do that. You're going to have to take care of that yourself, all right? <laughs> Whisper things in their ear. Flirt like crazy with your spouse. You know why this is such a big deal? It's the mission. Does God care about you? Yes, he does. But there's a bigger picture at play here, bigger than your home, bigger than your marriage. And it's his kingdom because people know that we are Jesus followers. And what they want to know is, does it make any difference in our homes or not? Because listen, they know following Jesus doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't mean we always get it right. It doesn't mean we have it all together. What it means is when it explodes in our house and it will explode in your house. If you're married, there are going to be explosions because you are going to fight with your spouse. The question people, the thing people want to know after you have fought with your spouse is will you fight for your spouse? That's what they want to know. Are you going to, are you going to begin to put those pieces back to you? Everybody fights. Listen, anyone who tells you they don't fight, either they're not being honest with themselves or they're not being honest with their spouse. We all fight. The question is, will you fight for each other after you fought with each other? Will you fight to make it work? That's our call this morning. And for some of us here, it may mean making some adjustments because you've never understood this is what God wants. And now you're kind of getting this picture and you've been married for years, maybe decades, and now it's just starting to hit you. You need to make some adjustments. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've just neglected it. <coughs> Begin today. Today, begin to take care of it. And if your marriage, listen, if your marriage is what God has called for it to be, help other people. No one expects you to get it right all the time. None of us get it right all the time. But we can walk beside people who are going through what we've already gone through. And we can help them understand. And if you're single, again, because your marriage exploded, I just want to tell you this. As a Jesus follower, people are watching you. Marriages explode. They've seen marriages explode all over the place. What they want to know is whether it was your fault, whether you made the stupid, harmful, hurtful, hateful decisions, or your spouse made those decisions, and you're living with the consequences of them. What they want to see is what are you going to do about it? 
Are you going to respond just like every other person who doesn't know Jesus, or is there going to be something different about how you respond to the situation because you are a Jesus follower? They want to know, does Jesus being in your life make any difference to you whatsoever? And listen, if you've never given your life to Jesus, (laughs) the most important relationship in your marriage, just so you know, is not your relationship with each other. The most important relationship in your marriage is the one you have with God because that drives the relationship you have with each other. And if you've never given yourself to him, we just watched some, some of our youngest make decisions about Christ. Maybe, maybe today is the day you make a decision and say he's going to be the Lord of my life, the leader, the Savior. We make that promise in the water of baptism and we would love to help you with that. Your next step in your relationship with Jesus when it comes to marriage. What does it need to be and how will you take it? As our band sings, this is for you to think through.